right, guys. Hello and welcome to the State of Sport Fishing presented by Billfish Inc. My name is Chase Nieder. Today we're joined by Leo Chapman, Alex Hossman, Skipjack, and special guest Tim Popfinger, the captain of the 87-foot Spencer Betsy. Uh, to kick it off, Timothy, if you want to say hello. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Tim, so, tell us a little bit about like kind of how you got in the industry, uh, where you're from. How you started off? I, I grew up actually. I grew up uh, in. I grew up on Long Island, New York, and uh, my father's a harness horse driver, so and trainer, world famous. So I, I had a house in Long Island, house in Florida. So I was lucky enough. The house we bought in Florida was about eight blocks away from Hillsborough Inlet. So at ten years old, I wanted to make some money. I went down to Hillsborough Inlet and started washing boats. Started washing boats down there, make a couple bucks, buy my own things. And at uh, 13 years old, they gave me the opportunity to stay on the dock, cut fish, make 10%. So I was cutting fish and washing boats, so I was really raking in the cash. And then they started taking me out on trips. I was working for uh, Brad Hunt down there. It was a pretty big charter fleet back when I was a kid, both sides of the bridge, 25 boats or so. They had a restaurant there called the Yard Arm. Uh, Ronnie Field's dad uh, was a captain down there. A lot of great captains, John Whitmer and uh, Keith, yeah, Big Al, Big and Al. Keith, Keith on the black gold was a uh, was a mate down there and a captain. It ran the Quetzal and stuff, so that's a little later on, but uh, that's where I got my start. And then uh, and then I fell out of fishing for a little bit in in the in the deep sea fishing. And uh, my brother brought home a surfboard. I went surfing for a while and uh, surfed amateur, and then surfed a uh, professional for a little bit. Gave that a shot, which didn't you know. It was all right, but it was no. You're not gonna. I wasn't gonna make any money or uh, or turn any heads. So, I got back into fishing, which I always loved, and started a uh, charter fishing, and then got into a uh, the private private business, traveling around, heading to Venezuela, you know, uh, Bermuda, Bahamas, Mexico, uh, Venezuela, Panama, Aruba, uh, Dominican Republic, where we spend a lot of time right now. St. Thomas, Puerto Rico, you know, the whole Caribbean scene. And I know while we cut out a little bit earlier, and everybody's not going to get to hear it, but you mentioned Madeira. So can you give us some stories from Madeira? Because I know a bunch of Yeah, Madeira, Madeira was awesome. I got an opportunity to go over there on a 75-foot merit called Can't Touch This that a, uh, was owned by a woman, a great angler, Donna. And I got the opportunity to go, and I knew it was a trip of a lifetime, so I jumped on it. We went over there, and uh, when we got there, there was a boat over there called the Freedom. Uh, owned by Larry Beard and Chase, a uh, Clay Hensley ran it and had uh, Mikey Ratone as his uh, as his mate, and they fished. We got there and they had fished 30 days without seeing one, and they uh, we started fishing, and lo and behold, they took Guy Harvey out one day and caught two granders in one day, and uh, Guy jumped in the water and took videos and uh, you know brought the tapes over because he was friends with Donna, and I I've, I've actually got uh, copies of the uh, the original VHF footage of him in the water, you know, swimming with these big fish and catching those big fish. That's incredible. I mean, it, it's, it's a feat in its own to catch one grander, let alone two in a day. Did you kill one of those fish that day or both of them? No, he let them both go, swam with them. Guys, I guess, you know, he's pretty pretty big conservationist. A lot of the guys would, would you know, would, would give the steel to them if they, if they had the opportunity. We were going to, but we uh, – we had the opportunity, but it, it they, uh, didn't allow us to get the steel in it. Uh, well, yeah, he that's another that's another story. When when they uh, we were over there uh, last day, last two two or three days, we had a fish, and the captain was sending our inflatable back and 
doing this and a fisherman saw him in town and he had a shirt on he goes oh fisherman fisherman he goes yeah and, and he asked the old man he said if you were me where would you go to catch the biggest blue marlin and he told us punta de pargo which was where really nobody fished it was the other end of the island out where the uh where you where you got out of the shelter and it was a little rougher but it was a super calm day so we ran up there and we had a guy on board named mark from south africa and he was running a boat called the margarita and uh he was the top the top captain that year catching the most fish and uh he was riding along with us and uh we started talking about colors or lures and stuff and i asked him i said you know what's the best day you ever had off of kenya he fished kenya a lot and he said, I had one day where I caught like a 900 and like an 800 pounder, and I caught them both on an orange Williamson lure. So I said, damn, I went downstairs and I started looking for some bright lures. I found a Madeira Mama, all pink, and we put it on the shotgun. And lo and behold, a fish shows up, eats it. And when she jumped at it, so I, I, you know, I yelled out, that's, that's the one right there. And we fought her for probably around an hour, hour and a half. We got her on the leader, and she was just swimming away from us. And and the mate and the mate had her on the leader, and uh, it it just kept snapping out of his hands, snapping out of his hands. And on one of the times, the leader got wrapped around the rod, like similar to what happened to Stuart Campbell. Yeah. So we freed it up, and that would have nullified the record. So we were going to still try to get this fish. And uh, from the photos, Peter Wright was over there that year, and Peter Bristow, and they they estimated the fish around thirteen hundred pounds, thirteen fifty or something. Biggest fish I've ever seen in my life. It was amazing, and and how it all came together was pretty crazy. That's incredible. Yeah, That's a big um, fish. So when you touch that rod tip to get that rod tip unwrapped, that would have DQ'd it from a world record right away. Somebody yes, yes. It would have definitely, it would probably would have shattered the woman's world record. I, I, I believe so. You know, I mean, for, the, for the look of the fish and from the, we got some really good pictures. We showed them to Peter Bristow, who, who I don't know if you guys know, but he's from Australia. He's one of the, you know, pioneers of the Great Barrier Reef black marlin fishing. And then Peter Wright, who is a, another very famous, a, uh, you know, catches catches tons of big fish. The, the, those are the guys basically pioneered the whole like wiring big game fish, how to do it. Um, I've read articles of them when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, they were down there. Stuart Campbell was there as well with Barky Garnsey and a uh, Charles Perry, who's one of the best wiremen in the world, right there. So they were they were down. They got to see the uh, the photos as well, and uh, it was a great experience. I mean, you're down there with like you know with the, with the big time heavy hitters. It's like uh, if you're a surfer going and riding Waimea. That's incredible. That's, a, that's an incredible story right there. Thank you for sharing. No problem. So, I mean, you've gotten the fish. You've gotten the fish pretty much everywhere. But is there anywhere that's still on the bucket list that you haven't gotten to go yet? Oh yeah, uh, I hear I hear stories about Brazil. Uh, my wife's Brazilian, and and I haven't had the opportunity. I actually, I haven't had the opportunity to get down there. But I've I've spoken to the guys that have fished down there, and my old captain Jimmy Garnsey, a uh, fish down there, ran the Mari's boat down there. And he said that there's, you know, there's fish down there that eat white marlin. We know, we know the big blue marlin eat white marlin because it's, it's, been, it's happened as they hung them up in, in Bermuda and stuff like that. So, but they get white marlin down there that weigh like 120, 140 pounds. So the fish down there, I spoke to my buddy Albert told me a story when they were moving with the Freedom down there. And they caught a fish. They, you know, they, 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 they never weighed them because they were just traveling in between the places. And they said the thing was just massive. But they... You'd walk, he said, you'd walk down the dock and there'd be guys standing to come down. You'd say, what happened? There's no line in your spool. The, the, the 130s walking down, four, four, four boats in the, in the fleet spooled. Because those guys, they, I guess they didn't have the techniques or what they had right there. But there's giant fish down there. And then another place that was pretty cool I got to go fish was a, uh, Peru. I went down and fished Cabo Blanco. And uh, I went down there to go surfing. 
And lo and behold, the, the resort's right there. I went in there and checked it all out and saw all the straightened gaffs and the giant bills and uh, got talking with the guy. And I ended up talking the guy and let me charter the little boat they had. So we went out fishing out there. We only caught a big eye tuna, but we fished around the rigs and stuff like that. And I got to see what it was, where the Humboldt current and the uh, Ecuadorian current meet right off the coast. And there's a unbelievable wave right there. It's, it's, it's really a unique spot. Damn, that's incredible. I mean, there really are places... There really are places out there that are still Jurassic Park, pretty much. Oh, yeah. You know, that that we haven't gotten to touch, you know. I mean, for example, Brazil. I follow guys on Instagram. Uh, it's like the Zoom team or something like that. And they're down in Brazil just crushing it. And they, they actually post a lot of really good stuff. I was going to um, say that about Kenya. I follow a boat from, or they, I actually talk to him every now and then. It's called the Alley Cat. It's a charter boat out of Kenya. Dude, they catch all sorts of stuff. They catch big marlins, sails. Well, they just catch everything. It seems like it's wide open. Yeah, Kenya has great fishing. One of the, one of the designers that we work with um, that does all the custom gear stuff, he's actually from Kenya, and he fishes there a lot. And he tells me, like, they'll go and catch two or three people on a day, and good-sized ones, too. Yeah, I mean, the tackle they're fishing with is... They're not making yeah. it too crazy. They're not and on the smallest boats, like you yeah. can't imagine. Well, like like you were saying about Jurassic Park, and there are still spots like that. I, you never know when Jurassic Park's going to show up. We we were fishing the DR one day and and hooked a fish on a spinning rod, seven hundred fifty pounds, and the fish didn't even know he. I mean, when the fish came up on the teaser, tried to eat the teaser. I got out of the way. We had a little dink ballyhoo there. The boss is sitting there holding it out. The fish disappears. I'm in the turn. We got everything in the boat. I look down. The fish is like halfway underneath the corner of the boat, just wagging her tail, just lit up. Drop the teaser in. She'd come back out. I mean, I did it four or five times. It seemed like, you know, for eternity. She finally ate the ballyhoo and didn't even know she was hooked and just, you know, swimming away. Zzz, zzz, zzz. Backed up real quick. And I backed up so fast, the leader hit the boss in the chest. He grabbed the leader and let it go. And then the mate grabbed it and gave her a couple couple yucks on it, and they uh, got some jumps out of her, and then uh, and, and broke her off. But uh, I think Jurassic Park, yeah, there's there's definitely some spots, but you always got to be ready because you never know. Jurassic Park could be in Chub Key, it could be right out front. You never know. You just better be prepared because if you ever do get that shot, you better have something ready you can throw there that at least you can be you know have have a chance at landing the fish. Hundred percent agree with that. What was your favorite destination out of all the places that you went? That you went? Uh, I don't know. Venezuela was pretty amazing when we were able to go to Venezuela because uh, uh, just the Grand Slam fishing there is just amazing, you know, and the Reba zones that come up and then you'll be going along and all of a sudden you'll see the birds and then you high speed up a little bit and put out those little Sail Islander lures with a horse ballyhoo on it and all of a sudden you're catching 220, 250-pound, uh, you know, yellowfins and then you want to go inside and go do a drop with, a, uh, with the rocks and really rod and reel a swordfish. Heck, I think the second day we fished there, we had a super slam, and we, we jumped off the uh, the white marlin for the uh, fantasy. Oh, wow. Wow. I've heard that. Yeah. Of mine as well. Fantasy slams are hard to come by. Yeah. Uh, uh, one, one boat caught one there that year. We were there. But, yeah, they're definitely so Tim, hard to come by. Tell us a little bit more about Venezuela, if you can. Um, me, personally, I was raised in – I was born in Curacao, raised between Curacao and um, the U.S., and – Curacao is like super close by Venezuela. So, you know, my previous generation's families that have fished, they've done Venezuela and I've heard all the stories. Um, but from someone who has really been there for multiple seasons, what was it like? Yeah, it was unbelievable. You, you, would, you would tell the, 
the the ballyhoo fairy we call him he'd come and he'd drop off you leave your cooler out front uh, your cooler ice down you go to sleep at night you wake up and you've got 10 dozen fresh ballyhoo sitting there all hand dipped caught every single scale still on them, just beautiful paints so you didn't you didn't have to worry about defrosting baits and stuff like that so you'd, you'd wake up every morning and they'd just be beautiful baits for you uh the opportunity of catching, you know, multiple slams, you know what I mean, was just so exciting, you know what I mean? You that's go out called, there. Catch... That's called La Guaira Bank, right? La Guaira Bank, yes, right out front, right out of front. We fished La Guaira, Carabayeta was the, where we kept the boats there. We kept ours at Portofino, which was the, there was a big marina base in there that had a lot of a, uh, lot, a lot of famous boats down there that would come and, and hang out. It probably could hold like 40, 40 traveling <laughs> boats in there, different, you know, different spots in the marina. Great. What's your spread like pulling in Venezuela? I mean, are you guys just pulling two T's or two dredges and two yeah, long, two flats? Yeah, just weren't actually, invented back then. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, actually, uh, uh, Ronnie Ronnie Fields was there on the Big O, and he was dragging uh, uh, dredges back then. You know, and that's we really never drug them. You know, we had you know squid chains and regular teasers out and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But you know, you didn't need much back there, you know what I mean? But definitely having the dredge helped you out. Not that, you know, Ronnie's a great fisherman and he, you know, always caught, probably caught the most fish and stuff, but you know what I mean? That definitely, that definitely helped just like it would anywhere else. But I mean, you could get away with just dragging a regular, you know, ballyhoo spread with a, a couple daisy chains and, and, and still go out there and just kill them. That's awesome. Yeah. Back in the day, you didn't have to rig a mullet dredge or anything like that or a squid dredge nowadays you know, from what i hear you didn't have to worry about what i hear from the stories is that when you would come back to the docks you'd have like girls waiting for you to get back yeah yeah oh yeah there was there was there was some action you know what i mean it was nice the marinas there were just amazing amazing i, I like the turn that we just went on yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> i mean it can't hurt to ask i mean it's rumors Rumors. That's all they are is rumors. <laughs> but I mean, we've talked about your favorite place, but now we know you're only 87 foot Spencer the Betsy. I think everyone's super curious about that boat, considering it's a pod boat. So, can you get into a little bit about the setup that you have on that boat? Yeah, we we've got uh, engine. Go ahead. Engine wise and drive drive-wise and you know the pros and cons kind of what you're dealing with yeah so we've got a uh, four motors c18s and we got four pods which is the zf2000 series so it's it's a leg that sticks down out of the bottom no exhaust comes out of it it's just a drive with counter rotating props on it that you know that turn that turn just like a, a outboard motor would be so when you you know drive on a fish you can actually steer the boat backwards you don't have to go one in and clutch in and clutch out if the fish is out in the back there, you can just turn the turn the steering wheel and 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 you know put it in a. Uh, we have a sports fish mode on there that splays the splays the pods a little bit to give you even better handling and really chase down a fish. And then once you get you know get down there on top of them, you can go ahead and split the split the throttles and go ahead and really get crazy with them. When it, when you're trolling on those, are you trolling? all four or are you no we're just shutting down yeah we're, no they're all four are alive we're trolling on the uh the two outboard ones so it's really minimal on the on the wash the two the two inboards are alive so we'll troll on the two outboard ones and then when we hook a fish i just push a button and then those two also you know become alive able to use and then i'll go right into the sports fish mode and then that's when we'll start going after the fish 
So in a way, it's kind of like a really big outboard. Yeah, underneath the water, it's crazy. That's the, well, that's one of the 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 the, the bad bad thing is every every certain amount of hours you got to haul the boat out to drain the oil out of the uh, lower pod. So you got to you know for the maintenance on those, you got to haul the boat out to get the oil out of the bottoms. The top pods we can we can suck out from up top, but the bottom pods we need to haul out haul the boat out. You know what I mean? Usually when you're doing a bottom job or something, we change the oil on those. It's all synthetic synthetic a uh, ninety uh, W one twenty five something like that some crazy numbers that you put in there. And speaking of maintenance, what is, what, so, is, what is it like? What is it like to maintain um, the four engines, the four pods? Well, it's like having two boats. You know, it's like you know you go to do an oil change and they, uh, you're bringing a lot more filters. You know, twelve buckets of oil. You know, in the in the in the engine room there's a six motors basically with the two big generators. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of metal down there. So. We got some big fans down there to cool it off, but it's definitely a lot more maintenance. And then, you know, along with the pods, it's just more stuff you need to check. You know what I'm saying? I'm lucky enough to have my uh, co-captain and a, uh, my engineer and, 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 and mate and cook, and he does everything, Bill Lyle, that works with me to help me, you know, help me down there. He's, he's usually down in the engine room and takes control down there. And then uh, up top, Eliezer and, uh, and then we've got Roberto now. But Eliezer is uh, from... Venezuela, and uh, you know he's been bait fishing his whole life. Worked on you know a bunch of amazing boats. Worked with George Solly on the Stalker and stuff when they mm -hmm. caught like twelve hundred blue mar uh, striped marlin in like three days and stuff like that. So he's been all around and fly fishing, catching blue marlin, and just doing some some crazy stuff. Worked on the therapy, and he's a great, great, great fisherman. Just I'm I'm so lucky to have the crew I have. That's awesome. So one one thing I gotta ask: what's uh Using the spinning reels on your flat lines, what's in your eyes? What's the benefit um, well? The benefit is the boss is a uh, he he's, he loves to make money and <laughs> he needs to make money to, to feed the beast. So he's he's a lot of the times he's inside on the computer doing something and can't be out there you know standing all the time. But now that we've got the sonar on the boat, it really you know gives us the opportunity to call out fish before we're even getting to them. So we we were fishing the spinning rods in that in that sense there just because. It would give him the opportunity to still do that instead of just you know having a fish zip off on a on a conventional. So we've gone now to fishing from fishing all spinning rods to to just spinning rods on the flat line. You know we got that little red uh, like sailfish clip you have to hold the line in so the line doesn't fall off the spool, and then you twist it in your flat line clip so when a fish comes on it it's just right to free spool. The only bad thing is if the fish misses it, you got a lot of line out there and that that drip that bait's just drifting back. So you gotta you gotta cup the spool. And make sure that you know there's still something there. You know what I mean, or hold it up to make sure you still got the bite. And do do you feel as it's as efficient, or not as efficient, but like your hookup ratio is the same as a conventional? I uh, I think so. I think so. You know what I mean? Maybe a conventional might be a little better. I'm not sure. I mean, we've we've a uh, been tracking our stuff. We've been really been high, high super high percentages lately and I'm, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with having the uh having the sonar too and being able to be on point and being able to you know hey we got one coming get ready you know what i mean so there's a lot of there's a lot of running out back and and uh being on point you know what i mean a lot of times the fish will pop and then a lot of times you'll go over doubles triples quads and be like hang on guys get ready and then all of a sudden nothing happens you know what i mean but you can swing back around and keep going over you know when they're ready to eat they'll eat at least you know there's something in there it keeps you Keeps you in the game, but Tim, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to an encounter on that point because <clears throat> I fished with you guys as well, and I did not like 
the idea of fishing with spinning rods because the reason for that being is that when you let a fish eat, when you have a conventional reel, you feel the spool of your thumb going faster or you can feel the, the fish change directions and all that. But with a spinning reel, you don't. You just see a line going out of the bail and you can't really like really. Well, that's, that's where you got to That's where you got to like hold it up and cup it. You know what I mean? When you're cupping it like that, you can feel the fish. You know what I mean? Take it out. You'll feel that there's a little bit more. But yeah, I know where you're coming from. We just we did it. We did it in the beginning and now we're down to two instead of four so who knows maybe we'll maybe we'll be fishing conventionals you know all all four you know sooner than later but it's it's fun those those big uh the big stellas they hold like 900 yards a line or something like that so that's one good thing i mean you know if you hook doubles triples quads at least you can really string them out put a guy on the bow and you know what i mean don't have the uh don't have to worry about really you know losing them just because you're getting spooled and obviously, the Betsy is a very large boat uh, at 87 feet. Do you feel, you know, a lot of people are like, ooh, the, you know, 62, the 58 to 62 range is quote unquote ideal for a sport fisherman. Um, do you feel that there's pros and cons to each? And what, what are those with having the big boat versus the, 60 footers well the yeah the, well the big boat gives you the the luxury i mean when it's rough we've got a sea keeper obviously most everybody does uh, uh but when it's rough you know what i mean you've got a lot of comfort uh it allows you know allows the boss he works out every morning we have a gym on board which is which is unique and uh he works out in there every day he's got a beam to beam master you know we've got big rooms we've got a full galley oven dishwasher uh, you know, washers and dryers, like you know, every everybody else. But uh, I, I, with the pot, with you have, a gym have what on now? Your boat? I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. Yeah, we, have a, we have a gym on the boat. boat. We have a, a, a treadmill, an elliptical. We've got a, uh, I don't, a like an apparatus to do a, uh, you know, so you can hold on to the sides and do like leg lifts and pull ups. And we have uh, kettlebells and uh, dumbbells and all that stuff on there. Yeah, so the boss goes in there every every morning before we go out. We, you know what I mean? We we wake up, he goes in there and puts an hour in there before we leave the dock. That is wild. Yeah, so. Uh, I, I, I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, it, well, I guess anything's an option when you build customs. The only, the only thing I've ever done to the gym is cleaned it. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't say I'd spend a lot of time in it, but. I mean, then again, when I'm stuck on an island, I tend to get a little heavier. So, yeah, no. But getting get back to what you were saying, the boat, the boat that size with the pods really allows me to, to between you know using the steering wheel and then going into split lever and stuff like that, you can make some really dramatic turns. So, I don't feel, I don't feel that the that the uh, that the size of the boat inhibits any any way of me you know getting after getting after fish like it would be on a smaller boat. One other thing I did notice was that once we put the sea keeper in, I think that's also another great option for the boats because it sta I feel it stabilizes the boat better. When you're dragging baits, your, your, your riggers aren't rocking so much and your baits run a little bit truer. I've also found it's better for your, better for your internet, better for your TV. You know what I mean? It, it makes everything, you know, trust, trust me. And, and, and I'm, I'm 56 years old. When I come off the bridge, I, without, when, when it's not working, you feel twice as tired as when it's working. <laughs> Oh yeah, but I mean, I just can't get over the fact that there's a gym. I experienced it when I was in the I DR. I, I experienced it. 
Mike gets up in every morning and before we go fishing, he goes in the gym for about four or five minutes and he has his rock music on and, you know, it's just his thing. It's awesome. That's, that's insane. But fishing on a, like fishing on a boat with pods, you know, to me is still super confusing, not confusing, but you know, the traditional drives for me, I feel like it gives it the hum. And you mentioned earlier when we weren't on the air about it being quieter. Do you feel like that kind of gives you uh, an advantage as well? I guess so. I mean, you know, I think we're like 23 feet, the beam on it, you know what I mean? So, and with the big giant uh, pipe, you know, uh, pipe welders, outriggers, I mean, our spread is, is massive, you know what I'm saying? So we're covering a lot of area. And, and having that quietness and smoothness with the counter-rotating props, I, I, it can't, I mean, being quiet can't, I don't think can hurt, but, you know, then again, we were talking earlier on the old day, uh, Detroit, the Detroit's, you know what I mean? They raised a ton of fish, too. If you go, this is kind of just a question for me, but if, if you go to repower that boat, which at some point I'm sure you guys are going to have to do or rebuild, is is that boat set up? So it's as easy as doing it with two, or is it going to be like? I'd have to had, I'd have to put that. It'd probably be a project for sure. You know what I'm saying? If if we had to repower, um, I w- I would hope that uh, you know that ZF would come out with something that we could go ahead and maybe to come out with something a little bit bigger that we could put in there. You know, we hold we hold 4,500 gallons of fuel and 550 of water. So when we built the boat, you know what I mean? We we thought we were going to build the boat with three bigger motors and have one down the middle and then Paul came up with the uh with the four with the four motor design and uh or actually I think my boss proposed it to him he said why don't we just put four motors in and a uh in in typical classic classic North Carolina uh Paul responded yeah we might could and uh we might could and we did (laughs) are you still at the same rpm cruising speed yeah I'd imagine probably around 1800 you know it's kind of what i see is the average cruising rpms but is that kind of what you're still at being with yep. four motors? exactly around 1800 rpms with uh with probably like 3000 gallons of fuel on we're like 30 knots and that load the load has to be a little bit less than i'd imagine with four motors right um yeah that's still running her right there right there around a uh, 72 75 percent load right there you know what i'm saying we're pushing, okay. we're pushing, we're pushing, we're pushing a pretty big girl there. You know, it all depends on how much, you know, how much water we have on. But she's usually stocked because we're always bringing meat in and this and that. So she's stocked to the gills with everything else. I can only imagine how much, <laughs> how much junk we have underneath the couches and in the freezers and refrigerators and stuff. Oh yeah. The, do the pods help your fuel? Yeah. Burn? Well, we we at uh, at a uh, we're probably burning around a hundred at thirty knots. We're burning we're burning around hundred and fifty gallons an hour. So just to give you a comparison, our 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 seventy six Spencer that had the big twenty four hundred MTUs in it at the same speed, we're burning like two hundred and twenty. So we're down we're down significantly. You know what I mean? It's way more economical than the, than the other boat was running the big pods at the load. same thing. Not yeah. Load, I'd imagine on each engine. Do you do you feel like this is the direction where you know sports I, are going to start? Driving? I really thought it was. You know what I mean? We didn't know. We we came into this as a uh, you know as an experimental thing, so it was a big risk for the boss to take. And a, uh, obviously, he's got some big cojones to go ahead and jump in there and just go for it. We're coming up on uh, we're coming just coming up on ten thousand hours on the boat, and she's a uh, eight years old. What about uh, with the pods? Because you know, 
I think part of the reason that might be with people not going to the pods is, you know, there's always that rumor that those pods tend to break down a lot or they have a lot of problems. You guys have a lot of problems with your pods in that bit or not really? Um, we've had problems before, um, but with three motors, you never get left anywhere, which is a good thing. But we haven't had anything really major. The, the, the early on, I don't know if I grabbed a rope or something happened, but we ended up a, uh, one of the shafts came out of the back of the pod and, uh, and, and, and I lost a propeller. So being counter-rotating, uh, that's a funny story. We were off of uh, Punta Cana, so uh, my, boss, my boss told the guys, I, I marked the spot. We were like in 60 feet of water. And back when we got it early on, there really wasn't a lot of those propellers around. So my boss said, you know, I'll give $2,000 anybody you get that propeller. Lo and behold, <laughs> a Dominican found it. We got the propeller back. But in that meantime, we... Uh, we took the other propeller off and put a uh, put a put like one of them swimmy bones in it, you know, the round long noodles. Shove that in there so the water wouldn't go up through the pod. Went out fishing on three, and I think in five days we caught twenty five blue marlin on three motors. Wow. Yeah, so you can still, you know what I mean. And I was still able to cruise at like twenty five knots. Well, that's pretty nice. I think I think one of the things that one of the things that always scared people was. You know, there's always the rumors if you hit something with a pod, it's just going to shear off. Yeah, it's designed. You know, it's it's des- yeah, it's it's designed that like true? that. I mean, uh, uh, back when we got into it, back when Paul was when Paul Spencer was building a lot of them with the Volvos, he said that uh, he went to Sweden and they actually put like a railroad tie out out in the water, and they run it. They run the boat directly over a railroad tie in the water to to make sure they shear off and they shear off clean, so you know your boat doesn't sink. So it's kind of a safety feature. Knock on wood, I haven't had the uh, opportunity to test that out. But, uh, you know, I, I've definitely hit some stuff, you know what I mean, and, and ding some wheels. But another thing with the counter-rotating wheels, you can have a pretty good ding in your wheel and not even hardly feel a vibration. Or the balance counter I mean, does that kind of come from the uh, Maybe. I, I don't know, but I've jumped I mean, underneath there before. I'm like, damn, when did I hit something over there? And you got a nice, you know, nice thing in the wheel, and you get down there and bang it out the best you can till you get back and get it, you know, totally, you know, tuned up right from Frank and Jimmy's or somebody. But I've, I've gone down there and seen some nice, nice things in there and been like, damn, this thing should be shaking, and it's, it's not bad at all. One of the two wheels counteract each other with so, balance. Maybe, maybe. They're small. The wheels, the wheels are. I, I mean, feel like you know, two guys could pick pick up pick up a uh, pick up one of those wheels and run down the dock with it. That's how small they are. Oh wow! So they are small. I was going to ask you if they are a lot smaller than. Yeah, they're a lot smaller, so they're way easy to carry around. But you do, you know, you definitely need two of them. So we carry, we carry, we carry, uh, you know, two, uh, four, 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 you know, two sets with us, and they can go on any. They can go on any pod. So. It's not like there's a right hand and a left hand, and, and one you know one wheel goes here, one wheel goes there. They they can fit on any pod, so that's the lucky thing about them. Is the boat fast? Go ahead. So you go guys ahead, don't please. really have to go. So you guys don't really have to go through the process of like quote unquote tuning your wheels and setting them out. Oh, we do. We send them. We send them out when we do a bottom job. You know what I mean? If they look like they need they need it, you know what I mean. But. Uh, on the most part, they're they're pretty thick through the tips. You know what I mean? They're not they don't look like a conventional wheel. You know what I'm saying? They're a little thicker, a little little stouter. You know what I mean? So they they really hold up well. How many how many spare I mean, wheels cool, do you bring with opinion, you when you travel? We four. 
we take we take two two sets two sets with us just in case you know what I mean I I, I we had one set and then I was always thinking that well if you're going to run something over and and with the way they at you, you know it's like a, it's almost like a blender underneath there you're going to probably end up catching a couple of them and yeah. and uh, we just take it just in case God forbid yeah better hmm. safe than sorry I guess if you're in the middle of the ocean I don't especially I, in Dominican with the, get a lot of rain. I don't think anyone wants to be using. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can. Cups. Nobody can use ours. What you saying about the Dominican? Uh, especially with all that rain, you know, those rivers shooting out all the wood and logs and all kinds of stuff out of there. Yeah, and we're we're lucky in the in the Dominican Republic. They got an awesome yard there, the IBC yard right there. They yeah. can they can haul out like they they put a giant travel lift. They can haul out like two hundred footers now. So it's like we're like a toy to them now. Before you know, before even the old lift was no problem for us. So it's. It's super nice to have those guys. Real convenient. Those guys do great work. So we get we get all our work done there. That's why we haven't had the boat back in like three years. Yeah, we were pulled out of there one time. It seemed pretty easy, especially right there in the marina. It's real close, easy. And is is it is the boat faster with the with, than, so what are, with the pods than it would be if it had the big MTUs, the twenty six hundred horsepowers? And another question I have too is why don't you think other boat builders are um, going that same route of having multiple engines. I I, I don't know. I, I I think it wasn't going to be as fast, but uh, I don't I don't know why they why they why they decided to go. You know why we went with the pods. Maybe I I think they were thinking it wasn't going to be as fast. That's why we went ahead and went with the uh, went with the th- went with the pods. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think those pods are really meant to go all that fast either. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we first built the boat before the tower and stuff, we were getting 40-something knots, you know what I'm saying? Really? Yeah. Damn. Damn. I, I remember we, we took Paul Spencer out there, and, and they, they forgot to bring a handheld GPS with him when we just slashed the boat and stuff. And uh, I, had, I had worked on some bigger boats and stuff, and he, he, he went out there, and we cranked her up, and, and, and we're moving along and stuff. And the boat was so big, it didn't feel like you were going that fast. And I could see the look in his face, and I said, Paul, what's wrong? He goes, man. I don't. I, I hope. I don't think she's fast enough. I don't think I said. I said. I don't think you realize we're really hauling butt. We're way up here, and she's a big boat. At the time, it was the biggest boat Paul ever built. And then we brought her back out there and had the uh, the handheld GPS, and uh, we got a smile out of them. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So what are what are the plans coming up? What does it look like uh, for the Betsy? Just area? Dominican Republic. We want to go to St. Thomas. Um, but a, uh, we're, we're trying to see if the North Drop's going to open up. So, you know, everybody knows that if you fish St. Thomas, you need to get licensed in the, uh, in the BVI and go stay over in the BVI and stuff. But with the COVID going on, last year it was shut down. There was no fishing. We did go to St. Thomas and we did fish, but we fished the uh, out front uh, hole in the wall and we fished the south side. And I think we caught about eight fish or something like that. Fished the uh, World Cup there. And we were like two for three in the World Cup, uh, just out front. Didn't you know? Ha- didn't have anything. I think 350 was our biggest fish. Didn't have anything that was going to uh, to uh, qualify there. One year though, we did have down there off hole in the wall. We did have a monster on and and uh, pulling the hook on it that they uh, we probably would have won the World Cup if we were able to put you know land the fish. But you know St. Thomas, that's that's why everybody goes there to you know go go chase the big girls. So do you feel like, you know, without St. Thomas having the pressure that it had in the past couple of years, do you feel like when, you know, you do get a chance to get back over, do you feel like it's going to be firing? I don't, I don't know. You know, uh, uh, Tito, 
captain of the Mojito. Uh, we were talking with him, and uh, and now that the fads are, I, I guess the fads. I don't know how long the fads have been in there off of uh, off of Punta Cana, but we're we're starting to see. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to fish it, but you, sometimes you know in that in that summertime there, you can see some bigger fish in there. I mean, not not monsters, but. You're seeing nice fish. You're seeing 300 pound fish in there. You know what I mean? Which which is a average fish for the North Drop, and they get smaller ones and bigger ones. But and you can see some bigger ones like that too that are surprising the guys. So we we ended up getting. He didn't know if it was if it was inhibiting the migratory pattern of the fish that would be traveling through there and going there if they would just stay around there because the bait was so thick. Yeah, especially off Three Rock there, you see a lot of those bigger blue marlin show up. Yeah, that's a, that's a great spot. I love fishing out there. You never know what's gonna what's gonna get you out there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, to to move away a little bit from the interview kind of thing and move on to our topics for this week, uh, we'd love to have you stay on, Tim, uh, to pitch in a little bit. Um, the Bahamas tournaments are all kicking off. You know, the White Mar- White Marlin Roundup just Shout finished up. Uh, the Lunatico guys, yeah. Uh, Luna Tico guys went and won that uh, on the Titan, the Effie May. Uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what you guys got planned. I know Skipjack, you're in Chubb right now. You guys just finished that tournament, which was a little bit slow. But Cat seems like it's starting to kick off a little bit. What do you What do you guys got on lot. the docket, Skipjack? Uh, I had a guy up today with two sales, another guy with one. Yeah, nothing really exciting going on here. But we're out of here tomorrow, and... We're going to head over to Nassau for a couple days. We're going to fish the pocket a little bit, uh, I think, Friday, Saturday. So hopefully something happens. It's going to be a southeast wind, so maybe something turns on. But then we're off to Abaco to fish a, uh, that uh, shootout, the custom shootout. So hopefully that will be producing some fish. Do not sound excited for Chubb game. But, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah no, Chubb's, uh, <laughs> Chubb's been pretty slow. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to say it's been slow everywhere, but I've been seeing some guys over in Cat who've been having good ones. The Wave Paver, they killed a nice blue one in the, uh, I believe it was the Wave Paver killed a nice blue one in the White Marlin Roundup. No, Hopetown's been pretty um, So, I mean, I, there's fish showing up. I mean, it sounds like I'm headed over to Cat next week. Uh, so I'm hoping it stays that way. Um, but next up on our list is... I don't know. I mean, this doesn't play into us very much, but for some of our, a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in this. There's in the White Marlin Open, there's now a $20,000 jackpot Calcutta. And in the Mid-Atlantic, there's a $30,000 jackpot Calcutta. And I mean, that's on top of everything else. You know, so now you're looking at what was 40 grand to enter is now going to be an extra 20 on top of that. And, you know, I actually got to listen to a couple of t- captains talk about it. And they're like, man, how do I how do I get my owners to pay almost 100 grand? Well, actually, after fueling everything to go pay 100 grand to fish for a week. You know, when you could pay that and go travel somewhere and fish for. Yeah, I'm curious to see how many boats are going to get into that. You know, and I feel like. I feel like, Tim, you'll have more of a owner well captain my, my boss personally doesn't doesn't kind of like stuff. to fish tournaments he he likes to you know go out as early as he can and come back as late as possible but uh no i hear you it's 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 you know some of the guys really enjoy it you know it's a gamble but it's it's uh 
if if you know if you feel like you've got the crew and uh, your boss has got the uh, the desire, then you'll you know those guys will go ahead and jump in it. But it's it's it, you know it's tough. I I never fished any of the tournaments you guys are fishing over there now. All, all ours were BBCs that I was fishing over in the Bahamas, so it was a it was a kill tournament, you know. Which personally I I enjoyed because even to the last second, you were still in the tournament. Because, you know, you could hook up with two minutes to go with the winning fish and come in and take the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't get all the dailies and everything, but you'd definitely still be in the tournament all the way to the last minute. And then they introduced a uh, the release division and stuff like that. I know we need to be conservationists and stuff like that, but I think they've done a good job over the years of pushing the size limit up on the fish that you're allowed to take. And then once they reach that far, then, you know, the fish has got to meet a, a certain criteria. Well, I mean, last year fishing out Ocean City and fishing the White Marlin Open, the Mid-Atlantic and all that kind of stuff, it seemed like more White Marlins were getting killed last year than I've ever seen. Um, and Blue Marlins, for that matter, the, the boys on the Griffin killed a 800-and-something pounder. The guys on the uh, Shark Bite in the same tournament killed an 800-and-something pounder that sadly got DQ because it got bit by a shark. Um you know, and then I think someone else won it or caught one that was right up there too, like seven something, you know, and that's awesome. But, you know, at what point does it get to be like, okay, we're spending a lot, a lot I of money to I, go I, try and catch one fish. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, because it's it's weird. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It's just, I'll go ahead. For me, you're you're gambling at that point, right? And 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 you're putting too much chips on the table, and it takes away the fun of it all, right? Um, yeah, some people that is a lot of fun. You got to try to kill that one big, big fish. I mean, if you think about it, if let's say, I mean, there's 343 boats in the White Marlin Open, and you get, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them in it. And all of a sudden, that jackpot alone is sitting there at $2 million. You know, I mean, that's life-changing money for a mate. You know, because if you're, if you're going to win that, you're probably going to win the rest of the tournament as well. And, you know, now you're looking at possibly rolling into new money that, I mean, hell, that might get up to, like, close to $3, 4000000 million for the winning fish. You know, and that's almost, a, for a lot of mates, that's going to be more than a first that's house true. and all that kind of stuff but i mean you sit there and you're like man that's a lot of money to be Absolutely. It, it adds pressure huh. in my opinion <laughs> that'd be a game changer Absolutely. like you said like a life a life a life changer for you I mean, you know what i'm saying i mean my thought is what happens if you get one on the leader and you're like "Ooh, that's a good one you know and you have that white one that's 80 some pounds on the leader and you're like "Ooh, that's probably gonna win it and that's part of the game i've been i've been there and done it like i've been there and done it we we were chub key fishing the bbc with uh uh you i'm sure you guys heard a boat called black gold i was fishing for sarge back when i worked for sarge a uh when he had his first boat at choi lee and had captain keith who's running the black gold right now keith bogenhagen with us and we hooked a fish off of off a whale right off a chub right there we were fishing with uh with a uh, God rest his soul, Jim Lambert, right next to him on the uh, real tight, and uh, I think between the both of us, we had twelve bites during that day. We broke an outrigger on a fish that 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 the lure didn't come out. I had a rubber band too tight on, and they were eating. 
one big one came up in there and uh i think it was simon slid it back into him and, and we hooked him up and we got this fish and i mean i see some nice fish i'm, I'm saying you know she was six seven hundred pounds or something like that got her right up you had her on the leader she was laid up on top coming back on her a little bit i grabbed the leader started pulling on her and the leader broke in my hand without without even having the fish digging or anything and i just watched the fish sink like that so it's definitely a lot of pressure and man what a what a gut wrench when you get hit with hit with something like that oh man my thing is you know it's one thing when you're like oh, okay this was a reasonable amount of money to get in and now it's like these guys just spent almost 100 grand to fish this week and i just blew it for them you know and i know it's not really something that we can put on us because sometimes you know just like anything if, if it chafes wrong it chafes wrong you know and that's part of being a mate and that's part of trying to feel it i mean i'm sure in that case you you don't expect that you know you don't expect to put put a tiny bit of pressure and have it that pop. goes back to that terrible expression does, everybody but... hates that's why they call it fish and not catching <laughs> yeah we you everyone all, all of us have been in the same 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 position too where you've right. caught fish that you should have never caught and lost fish that you should have caught you know what i mean where mm-hmm. You know, everything went perfect, and you're like, how the heck did I do that? And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. you get one, in the, and he's Bill Raptor, you know, something crazy happening. There's like, there's no way I should have ever caught that. So if it's going to happen, it's going to happen out there. <laughs> okay, Captain Ron. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I mean, I just can't believe the kind of money that's going into these tournaments, especially the way, you know, our industry is going right now with all the boats that are popping up i mean it's hard to even buy a boat right now it used to be a couple years ago you could pretty much go list what you want you know go on a listing and find exactly what you wanted nowadays there's guys you know sitting there fighting over boats that they kind of don't even want you know they're like you know they wanted a 62 but they'll take the 59 or you know they wanted a 68 and they end up in a 62 you know, our, our industry is just in a point where it's like, it's on fire right now. And I guess that's a good thing. They're trying to, you know, good for the White Marlin Open and good for the Mid-Atlantic trying to capitalize on that, I guess. But I just, that just seems yeah. like a well, lot like, of money for But then again, it's good for the mate who, mate and captain and team who wins it. Because like you said, it's life changing money, right? So... I mean, one of my what, best friends What was it like for him? Year. Um... Joey Coyle, he was, oh, he was, I mean, Joey was, you know, he fished with us a couple of days on the showtime, and then he, uh, you know, he was looking for a, a ride for the White Marlin Open. I said, dude, I was like, I got a second meet, but you can come, you know, hop in the tower and ride with us, and, you know, I'll, I'll try and slide you something if we win. Next thing you know, he, I'm sitting at the dock, and someone's like, oh, Joey's got a big one. And I thought they were talking about Joey Jerosi and his mate I was dock partners with. So I was all fired up. I was like, let's go. I'm about to be a couple grand richer. And it comes in and I get a text message from my buddy Joey. And he's like, dude, I got one. And he ended up killing a 97 pounder on a boat called the Canyon Blues. And I think it was like 1.4 million or something like that. And you know he hopped on that boat he never you know they never planned out what the cuts were going to be or anything like that and now they're sitting there like oh this actually just happened but i mean no matter what you couldn't 
you couldn't kill his like his excitement. I mean, if you go back and watch the video from last year's White Marlin Open, I think you can see in his face he's by far the most excited one. Um, you know, he's the most dramatic one, I should say. But you know, I was I was extremely happy for him. My even my captain, we called him the Million Dollar Kid um, for a little bit, but he he had that luck going that week or that whole year last year is like he came with us in our double digit bike days almost came when he was on the boat so i tried to get him to come as much as i could because he was the good luck charm you know and he's working for viking now and he's got a good thing going but i was i was super happy for him but yeah to say more about that like it's a double-edged sword because how about if you're that guy that that doesn't get in it and then you go out there and you do catch that fish and you get out, you know, then you've, you, how many times have you heard the story about that where, you know, oh, he wasn't in it, you know what I mean? Or he would be, you know, a million dollars richer. But you got to have the deep pockets, you know? You got to pay the play. I did it. I, I did it this year. I, we did it this year. We were, uh, we were fishing the Hook Big Fish Classic and we caught a white one. And I was like, ooh, that's a really nice white one. So we killed it and, you know, we went back and looked at the paperwork, and we were in the White Mount, White Marlin, Calcutta, and I was like, "Oh no!" And you know, we got back to the dock, and we didn't take the fish to weigh it because you know we we knew we weren't in that Calcutta. We were just kind of going to use it for a stringer if we caught a blue one, and because uh, we were lure fishing the whole tournament trying to catch a big blue one, and you know, we got it in there and found out that fish was worth you know upwards of a hundred grand, and uh, it was by far it would have won by a couple pounds and you know it's, it's kind of heartbreaking you know i'm not gonna lie and that was that was not a million dollars you know that was just a hundred grand i was upset but i mean winning it though i, I don't think anything he, i haven't done it you know joey has but i, I think what's the most prize money like you guys that, have ever won. fired up over it but I got I, I I finished second in that in the Atlantis tournament, the BBC, like the biggest one they ever held. We were winning all the way to the last day. I was I was fishing with my old captain Jimmy Garnsey on a '53 Hatteras with the uh, old Detroit diesels in it, and uh, we caught two one day, and, and we put it on the dock. I think it was like 560, and uh, we were leading it the whole tournament. And then Ronnie Chapman on the last day caught one off of uh, a Lutheran Dutch bark. Got to the dock five minutes, like 612 or something, beat us out, but. We still, I still won one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. So that was that, that was pretty good. One? That yeah, that was the, that's the most. It's nice when they bring that garbage bag over there with all the, with all the uh, Benjamins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, a little different there. The yeah, it's a little different over there. And chase you. But. No, I, I mean, I, I haven't had that that big tournament win yet. Uh, you know, we won a sailfish tournament and a daily, uh, you know, on the showtime. I, I can't tell you the exact number, but um, I want to say that was close to 50. Um, and then that, that Hook Fig Fish Classic, we would have won that. But, skip skip you know, Jack, we you. Didn't, so I can't even mention uh, that. I haven't Still really works. won anything big either. I, this is actually my first year I get to fish any of those big barley tournaments around here. But sailfish-wise... Again, nothing crazy. I think the biggest day we had was seventy five thousand on the skipjack. They did win. Oh, hey, yeah, well, I you, just that. Won, you just won ten grand. <laughs> yeah, I, I know my dad won. 
Yeah, my dad won 120. He won the Celtics. You're on a winning streak back right in 2012, now. and I unfortunately wasn't on the boat that day. Ooh. But of course, but <laughs> it is what it is. Of I, course, <laughs> I heard a crazy story of kind of how uh, it the guys on the Tranquilo that they are the guys who've won more money than anyone in sport fishing. Like I, I think they won the Bisbees like three times or something crazy. Did you guys hear about that too? That's just, that's that Spencer boat. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah, the green hauled Spencer boat. Mm-hmm. I know Bill, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Pino, and Bill Fish is on there. Uh, I know that I knew they won a, a big tournament. Uh, it might have been the Bisbees like two years ago or something like that. Uh, I think last year's Bisbees was pretty slow. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken. But I think they won two years sea ago. Angel has, sea it. Angel has a few million um, under, under their there. But I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I don't know what the history is on my boat. Uh, I know my boats won a lot of stuff. When it was back when it was the Cerveza, uh, it won the CBCs a couple times. Um, South Carolina governors couple couple times. I think they're at like 37 of the deadbeat sailfish tournaments right now. You know they got a they got a pretty good stretch going on that boat. Um, I can't give you a round number on it though. I I wouldn't even know where to put it. Um, if I asked John Mead, he'd probably tell you right away uh, an estimate. But I'll have to ask him and find out for you. But. I mean, that Let me see if I get a hold of Austin Angel of real quick, and then we'll ask him. You guys go ahead. I'll, bu- I'll mute myself. But other than that, Tim, you know, we, we really appreciate having you. You know, we couldn't be more happy to have you on here. I think everybody wanted to know about the pods and, and learn about it. I know I did. Um... And then a bunch of people on the Instagram, they were all commenting about the pods. Everybody wanted to know about it. So learning about it was really cool, and I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we wish you guys the best. But we end uh, we end every episode with a highlight of the week. Uh, you know, what it, whether it be something from your boat or something from, you know, just fishing around the world, something you saw that was cool. So we'll take this opportunity and just see what you got uh, our highlight you got. what is our highlight of the week our highlight of the week is is just a uh, being able to have a boss that that is so obsessed with fishing that it gives us the opportunity to get out there you know we're, we're just we probably fish a hundred and 140 150 days a year something like that i mean if, if yeah he's 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 eating up with it i mean it's and and wow. every every day and he'll be sitting next to me on the on the bridge, you know what I mean? He likes to go up there, and if he sees one, man, he comes out of the chair just like he would if you, if you saw your first one, you know what I mean? So it's, it, it really amazes me to see how excited and how, how passionate he is about about the fishing still this deep into it after I, I'm, I think he's probably coming up on 2,000 Blue Marlin releases in his lifetime, you know? And he, he's got no, 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 no time to stop, like... Uh, He's wow. won the tagging, the tagging, uh, not the tagging, but the release blue marlin billfish thing like seven years in a row. And uh, I think so far this year, since it started, he's sitting on 150 so far for the season. Wow. Yeah, so he's just, he, yeah, he can't, he can't get enough wow. of it. He's just, you know, 
He's like a kid in a candy store. I I see like twenty. Yeah, but we're we're you know we are where the fish are too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, it's it's a lot easier to go ahead and put numbers up like that if you're right where the fish okay. are. And we are we are fishing the fads, which are notorious like they are in Costa Rica for putting up big numbers. So, it you know if if you're doing the right thing and you're out there, you know, we fish cop you know cop cana this year was just absolutely amazing. You know, you'd come in with ten flags or something, you'd look over and we'd be sitting next to Marlon Darlin, he'd have sixteen up there or something like that. You know what I mean? So it was just. You know, and then you look over, and another guy come in with fourteen, and then I think uh, uh, Nick on the temptress over there caught eleven or something like his first day out with a uh, Travis and the boys and and uh, and Sherman uh, uh, Kyle. You know, so it's just one thing I say about the DR is it, it's usually uh, if you haven't fished there before, it's, I, I call it record breaking fishing because it usually you'll end up having you know how many have you caught in a day? Oh, I got four or five in a day. You know, you go out and catch eleven, so it usually breaks your record over there. So it's. It's and it's real. It's it's real fun. Yeah, this year was pretty insane too. Seeing all those numbers coming in, and now the white marlin as well. Yeah, I mean they they got voted number one blue marlin destination this year, and then yeah, I the, mean uh, in the Atlantic. Yeah, in the Atlantic, and and they're catching what thirty five, forty, fifty out of the fleet, and there's only there's only five or six boats fishing, four <laughs> boats fishing right now. White marlin. I mean, I could only imagine if they had the fleet that was there catching the blue marlin, they might be one of the top white marlin destinations. You know. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, my highlight was going to go to the Donna Lucy. Sixteen, I think it, I believe 15, yeah. Broke the uh, Cop Connor record. Uh, going no, through. that's amazing. A hundred percent. You can't beat uh, that. I'm sure they. You know. Oh gosh, I don't know. Skipjack, what's your highlight? Anything too crazy going on this week that I saw? Bonefish. I seen you with some nice bonefish. <laughs> yeah, that's been a highlight. Well, <laughs> I think we also got to chalk oh it up gosh. to your uh, your invention of the little scarecrow yeah, up there me and to my get other the seagull Blake, off because he we started were, a trend got on that. The seagulls in Chub right now, for whatever reason, got real bad. And there was poop all over the bow, our, our bow, everybody else's bow. And we're sitting there like, we got to come up with something to get these things away. Blake goes, what about a chamois? I'm like, what about a chamois? Sure enough, we start putting stuff together. We put a shirt on it, a hat, bungeed it up to the bow, and hasn't been another seagull since. And then all of a sudden, the boat next to us put one up, the boat across from us put one up, and everybody had them up. And... They've been working. I think sleeves in the wind been scaring away, scaring them away. You got the patent. Funny. You got to get the patent on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, it's working pretty well. Yeah, that was. I saw that, and I saw that and started cracking up. I actually got sent a Snapchat of it before you posted anything about it. I got a Snapchat of it from my buddy Jacob, who's over there. And he's like, this guy's on it. I was yeah. like, oh, that's Blake and, yeah, that's Blake that's and Skipjack. My head but you, definitely, you definitely had us all down. laughing. Hey, before we, before we close off, before we close off, Tim, Tim, I've got some questions okay. that people um, asked on the Instagram, so I don't want to um, keep them in the dark. So before we close off, I'm going to rapid fire, ask you a couple, a couple of questions so you can answer before we end the podcast. Um, so the first one is, what are you going to do with a repower now that they've discontinued the pods so i don't know if this is fact or well no they, they they they're just not selling them right now um we've contacted them we can go ahead and get them since we already have a boat an existing boat with them so we'd have no trouble getting all new all new gear you know what i'm saying 
So okay. when it gets to that situation and we need to do that, then we, we could go ahead and we could obtain them and, and go ahead and put, put the same thing we have in there. But I'm hoping that they come out with something that's a little bit, a little bit different and maybe some more horsepower, and then that would be, that would be really exciting. Gotcha. And Cal Sherman asks where's, where George is at. Uh, George right now, he, he's working on the contender. Dirty George over there. He's, the, he's our beloved. He uh, runs the vitamin C for Cliff over there. Great guy. Great, great, that, great uh, electrician and a uh, uh, audio, not audio visual, but electronics guy. And a, a, uh, a character and a half. I mean, if, if you need anything, call George. He's got your back. I'm telling you, wherever you're at, if you're in a pickle, you know what they say about George? If you're ever in a pickle jam or a stew, give George a call. He'll tell you what to do. And uh, no, I, love, now, I love George. To finish it off, Jack asks, Jack Bobbitt asks what you would recommend, um, like how to go from being on a charter boat, mate, and then going to work on a private boat. Like how, how do you do that transition? I think just from experience, you know, if you've got the passion and you put the time in and you, and you, and you love, your, your, love your trade and you, you can get in there and rig baits properly and this. But it's not only that. You've also got to have the right personality to mix with these, you know, with these owners because you're going to work for somebody who's a very wealthy person. And you've got to be able to have some, you know, certain manners and a certain mannerism about yourself and carry yourself properly because not only are you uh, representing, the, you know, representing yourself, but you're representing the boat and the owners. So you definitely, you know, have to, you know, keep yourself tidy. You have to keep a nice boat. You know, it's a little different when you come off the charter boat thing. There's a lot more shamming. There's a lot more fixing and, you know, and futzing and stuff like that. But there's, you know, you also, you know, get down and dirty in the pit with the hardcore stuff. But you got to be, you know, there's more cleaning. It's, you know, it's a little bit more, a little bit more to it, but it's a little bit more just fine, fine and, and you know, find, uh, refined is what a word I'm looking for. Gotcha. All right, that's it. Yes, that's it right there. Trying to be a little more polished. Yeah, that's that's the word that uh, my old captain used to use when we were working on charters. He said, if you boys want to move up, you got to be Now polished. you're shiny. That's what he used to always <laughs> tell us. So, but all right, trying to, but all right, no guys, problem. thank you very much. We appreciate it, Tim. And All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.